As bad as things are in San Francisco, imagine them getting worse. A severe economic downturn could lead to more people becoming and staying homeless. Property crime becoming even more frequent and brazen. Every week, more people moving out of the city. Public spaces could decay. The trash might pile up and float by like tumbleweed through the empty and dark downtown streets. This is what we mean by a doom loop and why we want to avoid it. I'm Laura Wenis. This week, to fight off the gloom, we're talking about what could steer us out of a doom loop. Last week, we hosted a live event where we tried to envision a brighter future. Three experts and a room full of smart, engaged people shared their wild ideas and dreams for saving downtown and, by extension, the city. From the San Francisco Chronicle, this is SF Next, Fixing Our City. We've talked before about this concept of a doom loop. On last week's episode, an economist explained how a drop in office real estate values is a warning sign of a self-reinforcing cycle of fiscal decline. At our event Thursday night at Manny's in the Mission, Chronicle Editor-in-Chief Emilio Garcia Ruiz explained it like this. There's a bomb that's coming down, and it hasn't even landed yet. And basically 80% of the city's GDP depends on people coming back to the office. People are not coming back to the office five days a week. And so with the loss of that revenue, you're going to have Muni and Bart imperiled. You're going to have small businesses that can't stay open. You might have tax increases. You have this other massive problem, which is a lot of tech companies have these really long leases. So there's no incentive for building owners to lower rents. So if they don't lower rents and the rent stays high, the buildings stay empty, the revenue doesn't come in. So there is this doom loop that could really do huge damage to the city. And I think it's important that we get it out there and start talking about it now so we can begin thinking about some potential solutions. And that's what we did. Our panelists come at this issue from a variety of angles. Desi Danganan founded and leads the arts and economic development nonprofit Cultivate Labs, which supports up-and-coming businesses and cultural institutions with a particular focus on Filipino-American entrepreneurs. Desi kicked things off with a much more optimistic message than the tone we've set. I actually think this is a really exciting time for San Francisco, because I think for many long-time residents, and I think long time is like 10 years, 15 years, maybe 20 years, we've seen San Francisco go on this unsustainable path. And we kept wondering to ourselves, when is it going to stop? When is it going to end? It ended. It stopped. Right now, this is our chance for a revival to kind of really rebuild what San Francisco can be. You know, to be honest, I came here for the tech revolution. You know, we were called dot-coms back then in the late 90s. We thought we were going to revolutionize the world by connecting everybody through technology. We fucked it up. <laughs> yeah. But there are some good things that come out of disaster. Because out of disaster, there is opportunity. And the reason why I probably speak from seeing opportunity and disaster is probably because I'm Filipino. You know, in the Philippines, we're in this uh, disaster zone, the Pacific Rim of Fire, where I swear there's constantly like a typhoon, an earthquake, something that will level society every year, yet we recreate our society every year. And I think that we can bring this spirit of Bionian back to San Francisco, that we can realign San Francisco so that we find our soul again. Isha Lacosta is the project director for a philanthropic initiative called Avenue Greenlight. It distributes grants of $50,000 apiece to merchant associations to support beautification and safety initiatives. This is Ishel. 
I think what Desi is mentioning, as we look in this room, right, there's a lot of people with different ideas. And I think opening it up to all of you can help us to understand what, um, what is possible. Sometimes when there's a disaster, that's when people come together and can make a change. So I think that as far as downtown, this is our chance to get our voices out there and try to work together to make that change. Sujata Srivastava works at a nonprofit urban research think tank called SPUR. As San Francisco director, she develops policies to make the city prosperous, equitable, and sustainable. And she also sounded hopeful. Let's get into the conversation. We've been thinking about it a lot in terms of not, we don't know exactly what we want to be, but we know we don't want to go back to what it was before. I think there were a lot of things that weren't working, right? The economic inequality, the lack of diversity of not just activity in terms of economics, but also the, the lack of diversity of people and increasing rates of homelessness, a lot of traffic congestion in a downtown. There were a lot of problems with the transit infrastructure and just people being able to get in and out of the city and the affordability issues across the board. So I think, you know, when I imagine what the downtown could be, I think about how do we get to a place that is much more inclusive We've lost a ton of service workers and we've lost a ton of people who work in the food industry. When we think about the future of downtown and the future of the city and an economy that is diverse and actually works for everybody, do we have lessons learned maybe from our past booms, our last economic upturns that we could kind of put into place here? No, we have not learned any lessons. <laughs> None at all, got we it. We have not learned any lessons, but there are lessons to learn and to not re repeat. So for example, arts and culture is often a tool used to attract people back into the city core. But what happens is that the culture bearers, the artists, the creatives who make the city cool, they get pushed out. And that's what I'm most afraid of in San Francisco is that we'll repeat that pattern. We see it happen over and over and over again in different neighborhoods. So I think that the city really needs to be very bold and creating new economic strategies to prevent that. You know, some of them can be very tactical, like with land use policies, like uh, allowing more condoization of ground floor retail. So that'll allow- what, what does that mean? That means allowing the small businesses to actually own their space, their, their, their retail space, as opposed to being tenants. So that'll stabilize them in the long term. So for example, like Manny's is bringing all these people here, but if Manny's doesn't own this building in five years, the landlord's gonna be like, hey, you know what? There's all these cool people here. I'm gonna double the rent. And then what are you gonna do as a small business? Swallow it or close down? But if you actually owned it, well, it would be different. So that's one strategy. I also think that education is a big part of our future and really um, thinking about our high schoolers and making sure that, that there can be some programs where they are going into these restaurants and learning how to cook, to host, to serve, whatever, it, or same thing, um, but to be able to do that. And I think that that's where we have to think about our children and how this is going to be their city and how do we help them to love it and to take care of it and to really own it. So I think it starts with our, our youth. And how do we do that? Because that's a huge topic of conversation in San Francisco right now, education. My kid is over here in the corner, just graduated from a high school here in San Francisco. She has and, the answer. <laughs> and yeah, what do you think? But I think that that's, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. And I am disappointed in our school systems. And I think that they are not creating 
a person that can go out and survive. And I think that that's where we need to put a lot of, of effort and a lot of just time into understanding how we can help that. Anytime there's an economic recession, there's this mindset of scarcity. And that's my worry is that there's not going to be the appropriate level of investment to save Barton Muni to put in the, the resources for affordable housing, for affordable, affordable spaces for businesses and artists, instead of thinking more short-term tax breaks, short-term little things that we do for corporations, which, you know, if you look at the literature, if you look at the research, you know that's actually not what's gonna lead to the outcomes that we really wanna see. It's things like childcare, education, transportation, housing. Do you get the sense that the city is prioritizing that right now? Because it's, it's hard to come out and say, yes, we know we're short on money, we have a budget deficit, but we're going to invest really heavily in these things that are important long term. The city does prioritize arts and culture. They are placing large bets, but they are placing some bets and in investments in arts and culture. There is many programs that the city is investing in right now to community groups to take over empty storefronts and really experiment. And there's many, many grantees out there in the city of San Francisco, like SF New Deal, who are gonna be putting a lot of uh, pop-ups in downtown. There's the uh, Mid-Market Business Association. They're gonna be doing a lot of pop-ups in Mid-Market. My group, Cultivate Labs, we're focused, hyper-focused on Mission Street between 4th and 6th Street, and we're gonna transform downtown. Within a year or two, you're not gonna recognize it. Well, okay, I'm just gonna inject some more negativity into this conversation. <laughs> That seems to be my job. <laughs> um, yeah, but because you're talking about these things that the city is doing right and that is the, how the city is investing, I imagine you and all of the entrepreneurs and the cultural organizations that your organization is, is accelerating and, and supporting also face a lot of challenges. What are those right now? Ooh, what are the challenges we have? I mean, it's many, many, many challenges, right? You know, although there are lots of well-intentioned advocates within City Hall, the city bureaucracy is gigantic. I often see it as like this octopus with a big brain, but many tentacles. And some tentacles don't know what the other tentacle is trying to do and will try to drag you down. Oftentimes it's these agencies that involve compliance, planning, DBI, are always trying to find ways to slow things down while you have other agencies like the Arts Commission, Grants for the Arts, OEWD, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. So one way, how do we break out of that loop? We need to create a blue zone. We need the blue line. It's the opposite of redlining. What we need to do is create zones in San Francisco where we can experiment, where we can slightly deregulate and try some of these ideas that are in this room to see if they work in a smaller scale. And if they can work, then we can deploy them citywide. That's what I would love to see San Francisco do, right? Yeah, Michelle, I think, and you probably hear from a lot of business owners who have some thoughts on this, too. Yeah, well, and I think, too, so again, we have a room full of thinkers, right? And we have, maybe in this room, we have someone with a, a pocket full of money, right? And so that's what it is. It's like, instead of having to go through these um, checks and balances that are kind of holding things up, there are people out there that have the love for San Francisco and want to see it change. And I think that that's where Avenue Greenlight comes in, right? There are these ideas that as we're putting these grants out, every single different neighborhood has different ideas of how to make their neighborhood better. Everyone is very different, right? And so 
these proposals that are coming to us are all very different. And we are giving that green light. We're letting this happen. So I think that that's where um, downtown, there's a possibility where we need to get some of those projects out there. And we need to get more people to apply for the Avenue Greenlight grants with these ideas. In a moment, we'll talk about an idea that has stuck around despite a lot of skepticism, converting offices into housing. Before we go, a reminder that we want to hear from you. We'd like you to have a voice on this podcast too. Do you have a solution you want the city to pursue? Do you know someone who's making a difference on an important issue? Send a voice memo or write an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. At an SF Next event last week at Manny's in the Mission, a panel of experts in a room full of engaged residents reimagined San Francisco's future and how we could avoid a doom loop. Over the last year that the SF Next project has explored the city's future, one idea keeps coming up. Kill the two birds of empty office spaces and too little housing production with one stone, converting offices to apartments. Spur, the organization that Sujata Srivastava works with, and a few other groups have been studying this. Just to reintroduce you, you're also going to hear Desi Danganan of Cultivate Labs, and a few minutes in, Isha Lacosta of Avenue Greenlight. It's definitely not a silver bullet magical solution, but it does have the potential to generate, you know, depending on how you look at it, but something between 4,000 and 11,000 units in downtown San Francisco, which, you know, on an average good year, San Francisco used to build 4,000 units a year. So it would be a significant addition of housing, but the numbers don't really work right now. But, but those numbers are based on current regulations, right? No, the, no. Those numbers are based on if you were able to actually make it possible, make it easier to do those conversions. Conversion. But there are regulations that I think are kind of like, really? Do we need to have this? So, okay, for example... Do we all need to have windows that open? Do, do you need to get out in the case of a fire? Are you going to get out of your window when you're 30 stories high? Are you going to jump out? We're, we're about to debate right now. <laughs> I'm just saying that you know, we really re need to relook at some of the regulations that we have that are slowing things down. I'm not saying make it citywide, but we need to just try new ideas in certain places. I completely agree. Right. So those were some of our recommendations were to really revamp the the building code to make it easier. I mean, DBI, as as you mentioned before, the Department of Building Inspections has not been very flexible. There are other levers that the city could pull to try to make it a little bit more feasible to develop. And we've you know we've listed some of the types of reductions. Right now, there's a conversation about reducing the affordable housing requirement overall in the city, and that would probably make a difference for conversion projects. Also, certain impact fees, because these are existing buildings, so to impose a lot of fees on something that already exists, already close to facilities, already has the transit service, doesn't really have the same impact as a new development project, so we'd like the city to consider lowering some of those fees. And again, to kind of go back to this scarcity mindset to think about, is it worth doing something, designate a certain place where you really want the conversions to happen, you really want that activation, and dedicate some resources to it? I think one of the challenges with this conversation is that we tend to think about these things that are like longer term interventions and like investing in public transit. I don't know how quickly that would turn around, but we're thinking about like the future down the road. And San Francisco has 
a reputation problem now. We all know our reputation on homelessness, on crime, public safety, on downtown being empty. Are there kind of intermediate steps, short-term interventions that can pave the way for longer-term fixes? I think we have to remember that we have to have pride in our city and love for our city, and that takes action, you know? I'm gonna say one thing that bothers me, bothers me a lot and probably bothers a lot of people. It's a small thing. It's very indicative of where our society is. Why do we let dogs shit on our sidewalks and not pick it up? Half of the feces in San Francisco is from dogs. You've studied this, you have the stats. <laughs> I don't have the stats, but I'm pretty... No, I'm with you. I'm I, just saying, it's hard to I prove. Think, I think through observation, many of us know that it's not all human, right? So that's, that's just common behavior right there, right? That's just basic, like, decency, right? And it trickles down. If we hold ourselves accountable to basic decency, then it starts to build. We all have to do our part. And it starts with that. Yeah, it is. It's up to all of us in this room, actually, right now, to, um, I know it's very comfortable to stay in the neighborhood that you live and or that you work in, but it is up to us to go to the other neighborhoods, go downtown, go to one of the museums. I think it's like we have to also take pride in our community and our city. And so when people, our family and friends come to visit us even, take them to explore how beautiful San Francisco is. And I think that comes with that pride, right? Show them why it's amazing here, and we need to change that narrative. I mean, we've been talking a lot about city action, and I think it's important to think a little bit, too, about how we work with civic groups, private employers, philanthropy, like the whole array of people who have a lot of influence over the city. And, and I think also having a mindset of this is a city, and we believe in inclusion, and we believe in diversity, and we, or we say we do, and so maybe let's act that way too. So if there's a nightclub that wants to open in the downtown after we add a bunch of residents there, let's not try to shut it down because it's too loud. If we have public events because we want more activity downtown, let's not complain about the noise and the garbage. But what I if think, it's on my block though? So, <laughs> you know, I think really like living up to those principles that we say we believe in, but then when it sort of is a little bit inconvenient being comfortable with some of the trade-offs, I think the next couple of years are gonna be really uncomfortable for people because we're gonna to have to give up on some things and we're gonna to have to really make tough decisions about where our priorities are as a city. So I would love for people to just get into that mindset of, I understand this is gonna be a difficult time and that there's gonna be some compromises that I have to make. Our audience at Manny's seemed pretty willing to adopt that mindset and they came with their own ideas for how the city could get out of this rut. Some of them echoed or built on ideas that the panel brought, like making San Francisco a 24-hour city, or capitalizing on its natural beauty, or establishing a university campus downtown. Across many different suggestions and questions, there was a clear pattern. People want things to be different, and they want action from their government. I think we need a new mission statement about what the city should be. So, ecology, yes entertainment, whatever. All the points that we would like the city to be should be part of a mission statement so that all the tentacles that you mentioned understand that they need to work on their own stuff, but they need to fit into the mission statement so that everybody knows 
what the purpose of the city is. This is my neighborhood, but I also party in the Tenderloin and have for years, and I have no idea why the city hasn't made more of the Tenderloin except uh, consider it divey and sketchy when it is one of the most historic districts in San Francisco because of the fact that it was depressed. That is a treasure of a neighborhood. Take care of the Tenderloin. Promote the Tenderloin. I had the good fortune of going to um, Bordeaux. It was a derelict downtown, and it's now one of the most vibrant cities in Europe in terms of they converted warehouses. They have all this vibrant nightlife down there. They put universities downtown, and they built something called Cité du Vin in a building downtown, not owned by a single proprietor, but by the vintners, and had all these people come down so you could figure out which wineries you want to go to. But it, it's like, it's such a brilliant case study to look at. If you want people to be able to take the train to come in downtown, it's easier to do that if you build transit-oriented development in Marin or in Palo Alto or wherever it might be. And so I'm wondering, you know, how could we move from an environment where these cities are competing to you know, have Google and Mountain View or Google in San Francisco, and instead have cities sort of collaborate to make the whole region more successful, which would also, I think, boost uh, downtown specifically because of that ease of commute. What if we really start looking at our tourism industry again? And one way that I'm tying this into the downtown is the Gensler report that talked a lot about how we can convert commercial buildings to residential. What if we open up the vast majority of that housing to hospitality workers so they can move back into San Francisco, so that they can work very close to where their jobs are, so that we can build up the hospitality industry again? My question is, you have really great ideas for the future, and I totally agree that this is like where we should be heading, but in the near term, how do we make sure that like we're not getting caught up in the bureaucracy and making sure that the tentacles aren't messing with each other. Like, how do we get to more progress? And I guess still in the meantime, respect that people do have these ideas and like might have to make personal concessions. Uh, I'm not an advocate of destroying government. I think, I think government has its place. I think that maybe we need to instill in government uh, a culture of like outcomes and achievements. You know, sometimes with uh, some government agencies that are very compliance oriented, they're not seeing the big picture, you know? So it's more about like how many citations can I give out? You know, am I checking off the boxes instead of am I moving the needle in the right direction, right? I just think that we need to build in better incentives for government agencies to do their job better. There are some process things that would have to change, so there's probably some legislation that would need to be developed for some of it. But yeah, for other parts of it, I think, you know, I know that there's been lots of other traditions of mayors trying to streamline processes, trying to streamline permitting. I think we have too many fingers in the pie sometimes, and I think we need to probably eliminate some functions and eliminate uh, some of the processes that are in place. We also heard concerns about moving faster and keeping businesses from leaving town altogether. The problem I have with what's going on is this is not a 10-year discussion. I worked in this city for 46 years as a lawyer, and I've heard all of these arguments repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Mayor Newsom's going to clean up homelessness, no problem, care not cash, et cetera, et cetera. You've got three years, and the foreclosures are going to begin 
on real property in this city because these landlords are bleeding. They cannot afford to pay their mortgages. The rent is not the issue. Occupancy is the issue. I have not heard one suggestion about how to get people to come back into the city. Money is the way to get them to come back. You have to give them an economic incentive to come back. My law former law office in beautiful space has 30% of the workers coming to the office and most of them say they never intend to come back to the office except if they have to come to San Francisco to go to court. It's too good, it's too lovely. You've got to give somebody some reason to change the status quo and right now I'm hearing nothing at all from anybody and you don't have five years to put it together. You got about 36 months maximum. I don't think once I've heard anyone say anything about tax revenue or how we're going to kind of like plug the hole of this $700 million deficit. We have companies who are literally moving one mile south of the San Francisco border to avoid taxes. We have companies going to the East Bay, companies who are saying return to work, but in Mountain View, not in San Francisco, to get out of payroll taxes. Do you have any ideas about job growth, job creation, or how we generate tax revenue when you have our largest tax base in major corporations leaving the city? What if, just an idea, what if there was a punitive tax where you don't have enough of your workers working in downtown, so you're gonna get taxed? which then incentivizes them to figure out how to get their workers to come back. No, you guys don't like that idea? <laughs> hey, let's just blue line it and try it out. You never know until we try it. I do think we're going to have a deficit, right? I don't think there's any escaping that. I think that the budget is going to be smaller, and it's going to be smaller for a while. So there are going to be some hard decisions that need to be made about where the budget cuts are going to happen. I think it's a really good time to be looking at particularly the gross receipts taxes and the real estate transfer taxes because those are sources of revenues that are really going to be changing. And it's an opportunity to look at that and see maybe the restructure that was done a few years ago didn't quite get it right. Well, thank you, everybody, for all of your fantastic ideas and suggestion. And let's thank our panel. That was Sujata Srivastava with Spur, Desi Danganan with Cultivate Labs, and Isha Lacosta with Avenue Greenlight. And you, Fixing Our Cities listeners, or at least some of you who came out on Thursday, it was great to see you. I hope you'll join us next time. Cynthia Lopez produces and reports for Fixing Our City. Gary Baca is our sound engineer. King Kaufman is the executive producer. Jonathan Krim is the SF Next project editor. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, exploring how the city will shape its future and tackle its biggest problems. Read stories by our reporters, check out interactive data breakdowns, and find our podcast archive at sfchronicle.com sfnext. If you have a solution you'd like us to cover or you know about a city that's doing something right, get in touch. Shoot an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com or find us on Twitter at sfnext. Fixing Our City is part of the San Francisco Chronicle's SF Next project, where we explore how the city will chart its future and address its biggest challenges. To get in touch, send an email to sfnext at sfchronicle.com. You can also DM us on Twitter. We're at sfnext. I'm Laura Wenis. Coming up on SF Next Fixing Our City, 
nobody has more of a stake in their community's long-term future than young people. We'll gather a roundtable of youth and see what their concerns, hopes, and dreams are for San Francisco. See you next week.